It's Driving Change from ATI. I'm Jeff Berman. My hope is that you'll find the stories you hear from fellow shop owners relatable to where you are, where you were, or where you want to be, ultimately inspiring you to take that next necessary step. You'll be hearing how others fought the same fight and what they did to get through it and come out better on the other side. Tune in each week for another inspiring story to drive change in your shop. Today on our third podcast, I have a very special guest with me today, Dave Erb from Austin, Texas. A little history on Dave before I introduce him. Uh, in 1992, Dave worked as a mechanic at a shop called Ultimate Automotive. And very shortly, he recognized that there was a need to be a better salesperson because he didn't have anything like that at that store. And he, he worked his way into that front counter and became the salesman. And after a few years, in 1997, the owner of that business, let's just say he had some tax trouble. And uh, Dave came to the rescue, recovered the tax burden for the government, and bought the business from that gentleman, and he opened Dave's Ultimate Automotive. And that's where his saga really begins. And in 1999, just a few years later, he bought some land next to it, did some expansion, and 2001 had opened up a brand new building. And in 2003, that's when he joined ATI, and his career from then on, over the next 12 years, found himself expanding into, I believe it was ultimately four locations. And <clears throat> by the end of that 12-year period, not only did he create four wonderful businesses, but he managed to sell them all and become a landlord, which is probably what a lot of you would desire. This allowed Dave what he always wanted to do, which was pursue his real passion, which is marketing and ultimately really being able to give back to this wonderful industry that gave so much to him. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend Dave Erb. Dave, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. Yes, it, uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful industry, and I, uh, I owe everything in my life to this industry. It's been a, a crazy ride, unexpected, uh, just always uh, you know, did the next thing that made sense, open the next door, and keep pushing forward. Um, you know, I got invited to be on several industry boards, uh, which, is, which has led to other great relationships. It's led to other great opportunities for me. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate now to, uh, uh, to be able to help the industry in a lot of different ways. I work with a, a company, uh, that I, a startup I invested in called Frederick, which is a, a very intelligent marketing platform, um, a CRM type product. Uh, it's different than anything else out there. Working with them, I'm doing some, um, some teaching for Northwood University. Um, aftermarket 101, teaching uh, people uh, that aren't in our industry, that are just entering our industry a little bit about uh, our industry. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. I'm doing some seminars and, and teaching some classes for ATI and, and uh, just love helping in, in any way I can. So, You know, Dave, I bet uh, if, if somebody asked you in, in 1992 when you first started as a mechanic, if you'd ever be you know, teaching or, or, or an industry leader or anything like that, what, what would you have said? Oh, no, I was, I was pretty much resigned to the fact that I was going to be in this industry and I was a mechanic and I liked doing it and I was happy to make the few hundred dollars I was making a week and didn't have really any great expectations other than just wanted to, uh, you know, to, like I said, push forward and, and keep improving and, and hopefully life would turn out okay. I had no grand plan and it just has turned out uh, way beyond my expectations. It's just everything to do with my life is 
is from this industry, and it's awesome. Just love cars. Just right? love, yeah. <laughs> but that's the funny thing. I'm, I'm not even really a car guy from a standpoint. I don't watch. I don't love Motor Age magazine. I don't watch NASCAR on the weekends. I, I like working on cars. I like watching car shows where they build stuff. But the same way I like watching home improvement shows. That mm -hmm. kind of interest. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's uh, it, it's neat. I, I, I'm more enamored with. Um, the building process of the of a shop and a business and getting you know getting that going more than I am about the cars themselves if that makes any sense so no that makes a lot of sense yeah. that's probably one of the reasons why you were so successful yeah. over all those years Thank because you. you were more interested in the in the, the the structure of the company more so than what the company produced yeah and it was a great time I mean, our industry changed dramatically over those years going from a you know opening the doors and having people line up going here this is broke fix it to not things don't break really at all they do so we've had to transition a lot we've had all you know great technology change not only in cars but you know the internet came along and i was you know i love that it was a shiny pity i could play with first guy to have a website in austin that i knew of anyway uh first guy to do digital inspections that can you know just came around the corner here not too long ago and uh and those kind of things i've just been it's been a, a great time and a great you know a great ride you know well you know that's a great segue into what i think you want to share with us today which, um, you know, going back to that structure part of our conversation mm -hmm. here, um, you know, I'll just let you go and kind of launch into it. Can you tell us your story? Yeah, I look back uh, all the time on what, you know, the success I've had and, and uh, how fortunate I've been. And, and uh, Jeff, I don't know if you remember this exactly or not, but we first joined in 03, uh, Ruth and I, my wife and I, were running the business kind of by ourselves. I was on the counter. I was doing everything myself and was doing it well, but it was all by instinct and, and the culture I was building and what I felt like was the right way to treat people and, you know, how you talk to them, how you sell to them and, and, you know, how you do everything in the shop. And it was just me and the wife, as a lot of shop owners are. But as we grew and as you taught me to, you know, to get off the counter and start working on the business and not in the business and I started hiring people, it became a struggle because I just assumed people would see it the way I saw it and would do it the way that I told them to do it, and it would be a natural thing, as it was kind of a natural thing for me. And a lot. You mean of, people don't do what you say? Well, you know, it's not only that you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's not that they'll do what I say. They don't. You know, often they don't get the concept of what you're talking about. They don't get the uh, the, uh, the the intricacies and the little little pieces that go with what you say. You know, yeah. um, so it's not something I, I really wanted to work on. Like you know, like I was saying earlier, I'm a, a, a before we started recording. I'm a golfer, and I like I'm good at short game because I like to work on that, but. I don't really like to putt all that much or hit a lot of balls, so I struggle at that area. So you focused me on, uh, years ago, 2004 probably, early 2004, you focused me on putting all these things in my head down on paper, all the, all the processes, all the procedures, every little thing to do with my business. What is my business? And you know, get it out of my brain and get it on paper. Um, so we wrote, we spent a lot of time, probably a full year, writing uh, my philosophies, my uh, processes, marketing, you know, all the keys to how we get people in the door, how we treat people when they come in the door, um, uh, how we do an oil change, how we rack up a car, how we uh, uh, sell somebody, how we exit somebody. Everything to do with the daily operations of the shop got written down on paper, and we worked with each, you know, each of our employees to, to do that, to get it down on paper and to get agreements from them that that was what we were going to do and have them sign off on that. Um, so you can imagine it was a lot of work and a lot of paperwork and a lot of processes and a lot of you know edits and all that kind of stuff to come up with this book, if you want to call it. How many processes do you think you have in a book like that? Oh my gosh, hundreds. Hundreds? Hundreds, yeah. Hundreds. Yeah, because wow. you're talking, I mean, we did every little thing you can think of, you know, you know from, from each flush to each, uh, you know, how you answer the phone, what the script is, what all the different, 
uh, scenarios that could come up and what, how you should handle them, all these things. And so, so if I'm listening to this podcast right now, I'm, I might be thinking this. Wow, that sounds great. But you hire a technician that maybe has been a tech for, say, 10, 15, 20 years, and you're going to show him a process on how to do an oil change. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that might go. Well, first of all, you have to get the uh, same thing with a courtesy check. The way they've done, never done a courtesy check before, or you know, the oil change. It's it's oil change to, is something he's been doing a long, a long time. time but right? you have to you have to unteach them because they come in with their philosophies the way other people have taught them to do it, and that's not your culture. It's not what you're selling to your customers. You're selling Dave's Ultimate Automotive, and this is the way we do it here. Um, and you just want to make sure they know how to do oil change. Everybody can say they can do a <laughs> lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean they can actually do it. You know. Um, so yeah, there, so there's was, a there's a, a certain you know I, I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody, but you know someone who's been working on a car for that long, there's a certain assumption they know what they're doing with something as simple as an oil change. Sure. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And you know I could easily see, depending on the character of the person we hired, there being uh, a bit of a you know you can't tell me how to change oil kind of attitude, right? So. Have you ever encountered that? And if so, how did you handle it? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, when you encounter that, you, need, you when you bring somebody in, especially an A-tech or, you know, experienced guy, they have their own set of, of um, ideas, their own set of experiences, and their own ego about the thing. And they're going to come in and they're going to be the man, right? And, and, and part of breaking that down, breaking that barrier down and making them open to your culture and open to your people that are going to manage them and the way you do things is to start with the basics. And there's nothing more basic than going, let's do our oil change the way Dave's does it. And let's mm -hmm. walk through that process. And this is process A, B, C, and work your way up to other things. Um, and, it, and it shows them how different you are as a shop and where they might be working that's different than another place as opposed to just getting thrown to the fire going, mm -hmm. I hope you really know what you're talking about. Um, and uh, it really, you know, like I said, if you go through each step and each process with them and and get their input on it. It makes them part of the part of the party, you know. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you go through it and they go, oh, "Well, we do this at other shop," and that's a great idea. Let's put that in the in the process, and let's teach it to the other people, and it really ingrains them to your shop and ingrains them in your culture. So. I wonder if if you know if you think about that twenty year technician we just mentioned, how many times he's had an experience at a new shop, and I'm assuming after twenty years they probably worked at several, not always, but usually. Um, do you think they've ever had an experience like that before? I, I doubt it. Very, very little. Have you ever had any of them tell you that and, and you know, kind of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're uh, you know, first they're kind of apprehensive as to why we're going to go through something as simple as an oil change, but at the end of the day, after you go through the process and after they put in their input and after you've, you know, maybe made some changes based on their input, um, you know, they, they mention or they've said, you know, several of them that say, look, you know, no one's ever done that. We usually roll our toolboxes in and they point where the toolbox is and we right. go to work and then they start beating us up because we didn't do things a certain way when they never actually sat down and talked to us about and trained us or, you know, saw how we did it versus how they did it and make you know, adjustments on that. So no expectations are set and, of course, all, all happiness or unhappiness is based on expectations. So, yeah, uh, some good comments came from that. So, so would you say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so tell me if I'm wrong here, but would you say that, uh, you know, while this is important uh, to make sure that they do the oil change properly, or anything for that matter, properly, what really is accomplished here is we have open, clear communication. Is Absolutely. that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Not, and not only open, clear communication that creates expectations, but... It, you know, done properly in the in the right light, it really 
speeds up the process of them feeling like they're in a you know part of the family, part of uh, you and your shop and culture. Uh, because not, you know, like I said, not only are you getting you know telling them how you do it, you get their input and and give it weight, right? And maybe the oil change input is not a big deal, but when you start doing courtesy check stuff and they say, well, this is you know the input I have on that, and you make a tweak or two that makes everybody more efficient, and they see it being done by the you know the way they're they're. Uh, the recommendation was adhered to or being done by other people, it, it makes them part of the shop, makes them part of the culture, makes them feel at home. So, You know, I, I very often run into shop owners that tell me that, you know, they'll, they'll say something similar to this. You know, Jeff, uh, I have an open door policy. People know that they can come talk to me. And I know that they say that, but when they don't address what's important in their business in the manner that you just suggested, and they don't show that their feedback really matters. What most shop owners don't realize is, even though they say they have an open door policy, people aren't opening that door and talking to them. Right, absolutely. You have taken this new employee, ultimately the existing employees, but as the new people come into this culture, you have shown them from the very beginning that you're different. And what's, what I'm guessing is, is that more often than not, they like that. Oh yeah, yeah, they, uh, they, they love it, they embrace it. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, because it's not a static thing. It's not like we, we came in one day, I built all these processes over a year, and then I said, look, this is it, we're done, Yeah. right? They're constantly changing. When you're adding you know, digital inspections, you're adding different marketing things, you're adding you know, whatever, there's a new process to be built for, yeah. you know, and yeah. you, make them, you make them a part of it, you know? And, it's, uh, um, and you, know, you go out to them, you don't just have an open door, you open the door and yell at them, my door's open, come right. in, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, you know, you don't just have to knock on the door, you know, so, so yeah, and, and uh, like I said, it's uh, uh, not, not a strong point in mind, but after we, you know, got going on it, I saw how much easier it made transitions in life and bringing new people on and bringing new shops on, you know, and you know, now you got a playbook, it's repeatable, yeah. you know, um, so that made uh, transitioning to other shops very easy, uh, it made uh, moving out of the shops very easy, uh, not only from a standpoint of uh, working on the shops and not in them, but it made it easy to, when I decided to start selling, uh, didn't sell them all at once, sold one at a time, but it made them much more um, valuable, more sellable, um, because you had a playbook and you had everything that is what you're selling, this blue sky, your culture, your mind, your your ideas and how you do things. It makes you different as a business. It makes that shop or my shops different than the shop down the road. It's not just in my head. It's it's in my it's in my culture. It's in my it's in my playbook that my guys have built that you can repeat, you know. So your business took on a life of its own. And for me, the potential buyer, I'm seeing that I'm buying a business that can run without me, right. not a job. Right. That's the difference. That's exactly what it is. And you know, if you buy a job, you're stuck working for a living, right? Yep. And now all the responsibilities of running a business and working for a living falls on you, which ultimately ends up failing in most cases. So you put something together that not only did it work in the first location, but now you were able to just duplicate it over and over again because the structure was so strong. Hell, that empire was worth a lot of money because now I can buy a career, not a job. Exactly. That's a whole lot. It's a whole yeah, it's interesting. Story. The guy, the guys that uh, that you know buying it, I ended up selling it to uh, an investor, and I married him to one of my best managers just to make sure that all this stuff was understood and and uh, made him a minor investor as part of the deal. Um, but that guy doesn't even work in the shops. I mean, he literally is, still has his original job that he had. 
you know, back when he bought them. When he, you know, well, hell, I'm scratching my head and wondering why he ever sold it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was that good. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, it's very much like um, the reasons that grew and the reasons I, I embraced uh, early adopter and embraced things like internet and, and digital inspections is because it was new and it was different, it was challenging and, and moved us forward. And after you know repeating it and and you know going from one to two and, and so on, uh, it, it got a little stagnant for me. And, and my passion has always been, uh, like I said, in marketing and in and, and teaching and coaching and, and and helping the industry. And I love sitting on these boards and talking ideas with people. And sometimes you get um, within the confines of running a daily business or being a business, those ideas aren't there to. to um, to, to, to loft around, you know, mm -hmm. as you can in these groups and in other, other parts of the industry. So, uh, so that's why I moved on. So. That's good stuff, man. I, I, if I'm listening to this, I'm, I got to be thinking to myself, hmm, maybe I need to do something more with, with process. So let me ask you this question. <clears throat> what would you say to the shop owner who says, oh, I got process. We just, you know, we don't have it written down. What, what would you say to them? Well, I'd say that it's 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 your processes and it's in your in it's your in your head, and it's <clears throat> it's your perception. And if, even if you tell you know eight different people in your shop your perception of it, your process, um, it's going to be perceived eight different ways. Mm -hmm. And if you all build it together and you write it out and everybody agrees on it by signing on it, it makes a lot of fronts a lot easier. One is is that if someone doesn't follow the process or procedure, and it could be as simple as when we come to work and clock in and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, and they signed off on it and they agreed upon it and they helped build it and they don't do it, then it's not you coming down on them, it's them just being a liar, right? And it's pretty easy to go, hey, you know, you, you agreed upon this. We're still on the same page you signed, right? Um, so a lot of it makes that a lot easier and it makes um, transitions from, you know, from employee to employee a lot easier, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you got to get it out of your head and get it on paper. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I in my thirteen plus years being a coach, you know, I, I have a similar story in that I would say to you that if somebody asked me twenty years ago if I would ever be doing what I'm doing now, and ultimately here on a podcast, right. while of all things, you know, I would have never in a million years imagined that it would be that. I, I would have told them they're insane. There's no way. But in 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 saying that, you know, I, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I and I can't help but think to myself that really what what you've done with these written processes and the structure that you've created is that you've made the things that really are non-negotiable non-negotiable, and without it, everything's negotiable. So, just as an example, if you went to your staff and said, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about this cool idea about this." paper that they're calling a courtesy check that I, I really think should be implemented, what do you think? And if, if the shop said, well, I don't think it's a good idea, it's going to take us time, you're not going to pay us, or whatever the problems were, then it's negotiated, and you're going to walk away and do nothing. Right. But if you approach it in the manner of, this is what we're going to do, help me do it right, what's negotiated is how we're going to do it, not if we're going to do it. That's, and that's absolutely right. And you can even, once you get these processes written down in place and built with you and your staff, and you go through what I assume a lot of people do is you look at your, your weekly numbers and you look at your, you know, your stack of papers or your portal or whatever you're looking at and you see something fall off. You can immediately go back to the process and find out what, what didn't get done in that process that made that fall off, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's an exit process or it's a selling process that we do 
you know, A, B, C, D to for selling. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't do B or, and C, and that's why that didn't happen. Or whatever it is, you can always fall back to the process. So it's either the process itself wasn't followed, there's a step or two missed, mm -hmm. or there's a flaw within the process because something changed and now we have to change our process. Exactly. Either way, Either way, we're moving forward. Yeah, and it, 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 it takes all of that, you know, well, I know I taught these guys that, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked about it at, you know, length four months ago, and I beat them up in a meeting about it, and it got good for a couple of days, right? But, you know, when you have all these processes, especially the important ones, when it comes to selling and how we greet people and how we answer the phones, the important things that make marketing work, right? Marketing doesn't make people walk through the door. What happens on the phone does, right? You oh, God. You want to get started on phones? Yeah, let's get on that. Right? <laughs> and then the exit process, and you take the important ones and you laminate them, yeah. and each service advisor, each manager has their laminated five important pieces that's their job right there and color-coded or whatever that you do to make it, make it important, you know, and make it real. And then all you do is refer back to them. We go, hey, we didn't do B today, did we? You know, one yeah. of the things I've always said to my clients, and I'm sure you're going to laugh when I tell you this because you probably heard it a thousand times, is that if you rely on your brain, it'll fail you. And, you know, another big important piece of this is, is that we're taking the brain out of the equation. All the thought that we have doesn't get lost or ruined because we just talked about it and walked away. It got documented somewhere, and it's there forever. Exactly. So we don't have to rely on our brain anymore. I think it was Albert Einstein that was once asked his phone number and couldn't repeat it. And he was said, why would I cloud my brain with all that useless information when I can go to a book and find it? Exactly. Back then it was a book. Yeah, but, that you know, would be the internet, right? It, now, now you go online or you, you ask your kid. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more we talk about this, the more, the more I think back to the processes we built and over the years, how they changed and morphed and, and new ones came about that didn't even realize need, uh, needed to be had. For example, a diagnostic selling process, right? So instead of, we went from selling time to selling levels of diagnostics yeah. and we had a huge chart on the wall they explained what diagnostic was, they explained what level one was and two and three, when they come into play. And instead of having this struggle of selling diagnostic, it became very much a point and read, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, let me read off the chart here, let's talk about, you know. So um, it's interesting how, how, you know, something as simple as writing things down and, and doing it as a group can, can morph, morph your business and morph your life. It's, uh, it was staggering. You read the E-Myth, right? Yeah. I want to see if you remember something from the e-myth, which, by the way, everyone listening needs to buy the damn book because <laughs> it's, it's the Bible. It's but, the Bible. A, but anyway, <laughs> e-myth revisited, everyone. But the, the, the thing I want to ask you is this. He, he made a quote somewhere in that book, and I won't get it exactly right, but it was something like, you're never going to find extraordinary people. That's very rare. But there's tons of ordinary people. And if your business is structured well and you've built good processes, you can take ordinary people and get extraordinary results. Now, someone who's lived through that, I want to ask you, is that a factual statement? That's a factual statement, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can overcome you know, a lot of weakness, a lot of um, belief issues if you have processes, right? You know I mean, if you can get them to buy, you know, buy the process, build the process, and follow the process, you know, they don't believe it 100%, you can have unbelievable results. Well, if it's non-negotiable, non even though they don't believe it 100%, you believe it, yeah. it gets done because it's non-negotiable, they'll eventually believe it. Right. If the culture is strong and they believe in you. Well, yeah, once they, once they start seeing results, I mean, you can, mm -hmm. you, know, you can have all kind of crazy arguments and crazy, you know, 
belief arguments or belief discussions about what we should do and shouldn't do and what will work and won't work. But once you get it on paper and you put it in place and you, they see results, the buy-in comes. And if it doesn't work, you rebuild the process. You start over, you know. Uh, but the agreeance is, is where it comes in. It's, it's a process. We built it together. You know, one, two, three, four, five, whatever the process is, we all sign off on it. We all agree on it until it doesn't work, and then we'll rebuild it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So go back to your 1992 I'm a mechanic, and you're, you're, you know, you see a need at the counter, and you just, you know, because you're a go-getter, you yep. just push everyone out of the way and get your butt up there and figure it out as you go. And, you know, th there has to be some years there where, you know, you didn't have any formal training, and mm. it was more instinct than anything else. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you go from that to this? Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. The, uh, the the original shop I started working for was a, a, a Carquest parts store and repair shop. Um, with a funny layout, I had this uh, shed in the parking lot that was the service. You know, people would, would give you know to get drop their keys off and, and check in for service, and and uh, I just saw how dysfunctional it was. You know, I was it was a the, the guy that owned it was a good friend of a, a, a girl that was a good friend of mine. That's how I met him, and um, you know needed a mechanic, and I, I was came over as a mechanic and, you know, was making 500 bucks a week and thought I was in heaven, you know, that was awesome. I had a, you know, salary, 500 bucks a week, yeah, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so eventually it was, uh, you know, they, they had just too many, too many people working the parts counter and it was this, all the processes were, there was nothing documented, of course, and it was just kind of, everybody was winging it a little bit. And the mechanics were answering phones and, you know, parts people were answering service questions for people and funneling them to places and, and I started making suggestions. I'm like, you know, I really think we should get rid of that shed and we could centralize where people come, you know, oh, great, great. Idea. And then I was answering phones more and more because they're just ringing off the hook and no one was answering. And then eventually it was just a natural transition that I became the guy and then became the face of the business and started, you know, I was the manager, you know, and no one said, you know, fine, we're moving you from mechanic to manager. It just kind of happened. It just kind of happened, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and, uh, and like I said, for whatever reason, I had a, a natural instinct and in, uh, for what should come next, and what, you know, some some good instincts on layout and, and and workflow, and you know, how do you sell somebody, how do you receive somebody, and uh, you know, just uh, because I cared, you know, I mean, and I think it came across, and I, you know, it's just. It's just the way it kind of went. <laughs> Boy, did I get lucky to get you as a client. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think lucky's the other way around. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, you know, because you had these instincts and you saw these things weren't right, um, you know, the process part that you're mentioning here, I mean, was the first time that happened was when you and I were talking, or was this long before that? Well, no, I mean, like I said, the, the, getting it out of my head and getting it on paper was, was because of you. Um, uh, from some frustrations I had with growth, you know, like I said, we we, we uh, bought the shop in '97 and uh, bought the land next door and built a new building, and mm -hmm. that that spawned an immediate growth. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like just just from if you build it, they will come kind of aspect. You know, bigger building, nicer building, uh, more uh, people to work on cars. So, um, you know, so we started getting ourselves off the counter and started entrusting other people to do what we were doing, and it was it was a struggle. It was it was uh, uh, it was tough. You know, and and we had a lot of discussions about that, and you kept beating on me about writing processes and getting it out of my head and getting it on paper and teaching people and getting agreements on it and all these things, you know, that I didn't want to do. And then I finally, you know, started. I did one, and then I did two. And then you know, then you know, we picked important ones, and then went down went down the line, you know, and um, and pretty shortly it became pretty easy to build process and, mm -hmm. and became pretty powerful and, and you know to the point where. You know, what's our next one? Let's get that one done, you know, to kind of thing, and, and just built this book. You know? So here's a slightly off-the-topic but related question. 
You know, the environment we're in today is probably, at least in my career, the worst I've ever seen it when it comes to finding staff. And Agreed. you've been doing this longer than me, so Agreed. maybe you could say it's been worse at some point, but I have never mm. seen it. Would you say that's fair? Oh, it's, that's absolutely fair. I mean, we used to, you could always drop a, a, a newspaper ad or Craigslist ad and have multiples at any position, mm -hmm. you know, up until probably 10 years ago, you could easily find somebody to, to or attract somebody from another shop or now, we could get into a discussion about why. I don't think that's important today. Maybe that's for a future podcast. But for today, the reason I brought that up is for, for those out there that are having a hard time finding people in an environment that's hard to find people, there's always shops out there, even in this hard environment, that aren't having trouble finding people. And I don't know the answer to this question. Not, we'll see where this we'll goes. We'll see where this goes. But... Um, I'm wondering if you were one of the ones that didn't have as much trouble, and if so, can you tell me why? Well, uh, of all the groups, I, the groups I work in, a lot of shops I work with, uh, some of my best friends in the world are now shop owners uh, through through uh, 20 groups and whatnot. Um, a lot of them are struggling to to uh, to get good quality people in there, and I can't say that our shops are any different as far as getting somebody to walk through the door or maybe call us or you know, react or respond to an ad. I would say that we held on to ours better and longer than most people. Um, more, you know, if someone left, I mean, we had people move away, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I think we rarely, early on we lost people. Um, just through the transition. Just through the transition, right? You know, just, just Changing uh, the culture. Yeah, exactly. Some are yeah. gonna bite, yeah. some are gonna walk. You gotta be exactly. okay with that, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, but I'd say later on, the last, the last, you know, the last few years we definitely had, um, it had the ability to hang on to people and, and people that really felt like they were a part of what we were doing. You know, ours was a noble mission, what we were doing. We weren't just there to make money. You know, our, our mission was to, to be the best in our industry, period, at everything. And we, I'm not saying we pulled that off. I'm just saying that was the goal. Okay. You mentioned build it and they will come. Yeah. Now, you were talking about the bricks and mortar and the growth, and obviously you were in a decent location, mm -hmm. so to some degree that was a natural thing. But in terms of culture, I'd almost bet it's the same, meaning that when you build the culture, the world outside notices and they come. Yeah, absolutely. And that, when I talk about marketing and teach marketing, that's, that's more of a branding thing. It's the emotional response. You know, someone, someone sees a communication from you or sees your sign driving down the road, what do they feel? What, mm -hmm. do they, what, do they, what do they see? You know, what does their internal mind say about the next visit they're going to have with you? Is it a positive thing or is it a negative thing? Is, you know, all those things. You know, people always think, you know, when they ask, what do you think branding is? Well, it's a logo. It's the, well, no. It's the emotion and it's the feeling you get by seeing that or, mm -hmm. or that I'm going to have this experience you know, next. So, yes, when you build that culture and you build those processes and you have all that in place and it works well, then your brand is a positive brand, and it's and it's uh, it's thought of well. So know? I'm a tech, and I work for you. Mm -hmm. I love my job. My friends are techs. What am I telling them? Well, that's a good question. If they have, if Dave's gets an opening, you should come here. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. We you know we definitely picked up a few techs from relationships like that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, if you told me you didn't, I'd be really surprised. Yeah, it, yeah. I'd be a little upset. Oh, and the other, too. the other, <laughs> the other crazy thing about that is, I can tell you multiple times that, um, you know, various technicians left us for 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 um, one reason or another, and 
I would say that uh, I, I, I was so surprised by this. But looking back on that, we um, we had most of them come back. Most of the like long-term A techs that you would consider someone who's been with you for a long time that left for whatever reason, money, grass is greener, whatever. We 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 uh, they came back, you know, and and uh, and uh, asked for them. And I think part of that is, and this has nothing to do with the process, but has 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 to do with. I believe I'm I believe I'm successful today because I like when people succeed around me, and I like when other shops, even the guy down my, down the road from me, succeed. And when someone says they're going to leave you, you can make it easy on them, or you can make it hard on them. You can make it dig you know, dignified. Thanks for the help you've given me to this point in life. We couldn't have been here without you. Or you can be a pain in the ass about it, right? So, yeah. what are you saying? An exit interview? Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. What's, what's that all about, <clears throat> Dave? Yeah. We'll get into that another yeah, day. No, no. But just, uh, yeah. just throw that out there yeah. for everyone. Yeah, it's not a get your tools and get out. Right. It, there's a true exit interview. Why? Because all the time they spent with you, whether it's months or years or multiples of years, they're about to be a spokesperson for your business. Mm -hmm. And it is exactly what you're saying. It is what you did inside. It is the feeling, the brand that you put out there, not just for customers to see. There's two brands. There's the customer brand and there's the employee brand. Absolutely. You know, it, it's our own little version of what Glassdoor might be online. Right. And if you're not focused on that, you're not going to get people to answer I'll, those I'll, ads. I'll, I'll tell you a little... A little uh, I don't know if this is like egotistical or what, what it is, but one of my one of my favorite things I remember from from all the years is that there was a a long running I call it a gag or joke or saying or what do you want to call it within our shop that whenever a technician got stuck or any of my employees got stuck with anything whether it's a cell or a diagnostic issue um, they they they, had, they called it WWD what would Dave do? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so that was a long-running thing. That's WWDD. You know, WWDD. <laughs> what, what would Dave do? You know, uh, and I was proud of that because you know pe people would you know whether like I said whatever the issue was or whether it was with a customer or a sale or whatever uh, they I would see a they brand would default in that. to that. <laughs> there you go, like, WW, like Tiger Woods or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. But I was very I'm very proud that people thought of me that way. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was just part of our culture and the part of, that you you know they care about everybody's success, not just your own. So. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave, we're out of time, but I have to tell you, this was really awesome. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Yeah, hey, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, I hope that, uh, as I've said before, that the people out there listening today are getting as much out of this as I have. You know, and I've known you 13 plus years, and I have to say to you that uh, I learned more today. I can't imagine I would learn anything more from you, but oh, I just did. No. <laughs> well, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Now, as we close, I want to say to everybody um, something that, um, just to give you a little tip as a takeaway, one of the things that I tell my clients to do is when you have a moment where you're instructing somebody to do something, and you're telling them a step-by-step -step process, which we all do. We're, you know, do this first, then do this, then do this. We all do that. A great little tip is this. When you're telling them to do that, have them write it down. And if they're writing down those steps as you're telling them, they're using their, their sense of touch, their sense of sight, and what they hear. And everybody learns differently, so we don't know what it is that their primary source of learning is from, but whatever it is, you're going to touch on it within those three. Plus, you're using three, so it makes it that much better. But here's the real power in this. 
you're hearing us say you need written process, and you're probably thinking to yourself, boy, that sounds like a lot of work. But if you have them write it down when you're talking about it, they just wrote the process for you. So now you can hand them their own copy back after you make a copy for yourself, and they now have their cheat sheet or the beginning of their process to put in their own book for you to put into a file for when you find the time to make it official. And at that point, we now have a written process. And all of that knowledge doesn't get wasted. So that's my tip as we leave this today. Uh, thanks again, Dave. It was a wonderful, wonderful session. Hey, my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much, like I said. And anybody out there, uh, as always, if you have any uh, stories of your own that you think you want the world to hear and you want to be interviewed, please email me at gberman at autotraining.net. That's B-E-R-M-A-N at autotraining.net. You have been listening to Driving Change from ATI. If you liked what you've heard today and feel you have something compelling to share with your fellow shop owners, we're waiting to hear from you. You can contact me, Jeff Berman, by emailing gberman at autotraining.net. Let me know what it is you can't wait to share and how I can reach you. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you're notified when the next podcast is available. If you're unfamiliar with ATI and want to learn more, you can check us out online at autotraining.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.